So welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. Hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business Podcast. Now, in today's episode, I'm lucky enough to be joined by a a fellow uh, change practitioner. And um, today I've got Rich Habits with me from uh, Amsterdam. Uh, and he runs a business called Inside Inc. And I'll let Rich sort of explain his background to you in a moment, but he's someone who's out there day in, day out, spreading his understanding with organizations and clients, and it's made a real difference to both his personal and work life. So welcome, Rich. Hi, Pierce. Thanks. Hi. Great introduction. Thanks. <laughs> well, Rich, it's, it's great to have you here. I, I know you're a, a super busy guy, so thank you for finding uh, a few minutes to have a chat with us. Uh, and I think we're having a great conversation. Uh, we just mm-hmm. talked about what we're going to talk about. So, so that's going to be good. But could you just give listeners just a couple of minutes on your background um, and how come you've ended up uh, talking about this understanding of the mind with your clients? Yeah, sure. Yes. Uh, so, so I'm trained as a, uh, as a consultant. Um, when I first started, I was in, uh, in information technology, IT. Uh, but I quickly got into management consultant. Uh, so consulting, of course. Uh, I did that for about, I don't know, 10 years, maybe nine years. And what I saw, Piers, is that more and more um, clients got frustrated because uh, they had to fit the model that my company thought they had to go through uh, for change, right? And um, I, I also saw that it didn't always work. It wasn't always the most effective. And me personally, I also got a little bit frustrated, like, because I saw these great companies going through change initiatives and they didn't deliver uh, on, on what they promised on these initiatives. And I got more and more interested in um, what is it then that really uh, brings about change? Because, you know, sometimes we had a project and there was really no budget, well, you know, or limited budget, or the scope wasn't well defined and the sponsors were hard to find. And those projects became successes where other projects had everything we needed. So the budget, the scope, um, you know, good, good, um, good governance and we failed. So I got more and more interested in what, what is it actually that's uh, behind the screens and, and <laughs> that nobody's addressing because nobody taught me that in, in business school. And, um, so kind of as a, you know, abrupt decision, I quit my job. And that was in, uh, let's see, 2008. I just quit that job and I, uh, I decided to jump in and see what is happening behind the screens. And, um, you know, I got into various coaching programs, uh, got involved with various coaches, mentors, uh, people. But I also was very, um, I was not focused. So I, I was looking at all kinds of ways and I got more and more confused. And I still remember one coach telling me that uh, he said, you know what, um, just drop everything. Choose one thing that intuitively feels like the right way to go and follow that. So that's what I did. And um, so I dropped everything else and I, um, 
I started to focus on what really made sense to me, and that got me in contact with the with the world of Sid Banks. I, uh, so I first got his book. Somebody gave me his book. It was called the uh, I think it was the Enlightened Gardener, mm-hmm. and something really uh, revisited. By the way, the revisited the second part. And something really touched me about the guy, Andy, in that book. It, was, uh, it wasn't really like something that made sense, but it really touched me at a different level than the intellectual space that I normally operate in uh, as a consultant. And so I wanted to know more. And I got in contact with uh, a guy that you and I both know. His name is Dick and Bettinger. And, um, you know, it was funny. I had one conversation with him over the phone for about 45 minutes. And before I knew it, I was in the plane to... Uh, Lacana, Washington, where I spent a couple of days with, uh, with Dickon. And uh, when I left, about four or five days later, I, um, I was absolutely convinced that this, was, that this is the future of, um, of cor- how co- corporations should work with change. I uh, wasn't clear about everything, of course. There were still lots of questions, still lots of wondering going on. But this was the direction I wanted to take stuff in. And, um, you know, really easily. That's what I've been doing since then. Uh, so I work with companies um, from, you know, three-day programs to whole change initiatives that take three years, uh, working with mostly big companies, um, companies who are like 80, 80, million, 80 billion uh, revenue. Uh, I would say that. I don't know. Um, so $80 billion companies, big companies, American companies all over the world, been working in Asia, Europe, uh, the United States, and um, super busy, and I, I really see this making a difference. So, um, yeah, I'm just really happy that these questions that were in my head at, in 2008, they're uh, much more clear now. And um, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Well, that's that's a great nutshell. Thank you for giving that uh, background. And there's quite a few things I want to ask about that, and and I'll hmm. uh, I'll, I'll get to them hopefully if we have time in in uh, this podcast. Um, and, and and I'll I'll leave what it is that you heard uh, from Dickon and, and what you read in the book to, to a little bit later. But to, first of all, I just want to talk about you know what you were saying earlier about how what does make change work for an organisation and and your frustration you know previously about well actually it, what are companies missing and organisations missing in making change successful uh, on time, on budget, full benefits realization. What is it that's missing? So how would you distill that now? What would you say that you now know and see that you didn't see before and that and organizations are generally missing? What's the difference that makes the difference in your mind now? How would you articulate that? Well, the way I see it, it's very simple. We've all been conditioned to... Um, try to analyze when we see something not working. So, we, so what I see companies do, for instance, when they're not happy with their results or their revenues or whatever, they, they take a look at their processes um, or they take a look at their behavior or they look at their actions and they try to change their actions. So all visible things, right? Things that they can see, touch, um, that are very much um, uh, present for people. Um, so most companies that the work that I used to do as a management consultant, what we did, they brought us in, they said, you know, uh, we're not happy with the client results. Uh, clients are calling in, they're not happy. They don't deliver stuff in time. Uh, you know, prices aren't right. So what they did, they would take us in and we would redesign the process. So simply we put like 40 people in a room and we'd say, so what's the process now like? Okay. So we would map the whole process and then we say, what will we, what will we, what will we, 
the ideal way to have the process, so the, the to be. And then we would look how big is the gap and we would put all kinds of stuff in automation. We would change roles. We would have um, people work more together. But what we didn't see, well, maybe we did see it, but what we didn't know how to handle is that if, for instance, people don't talk to each other, putting them next to each other in the process doesn't make them talk to each other. It's mm. a different thing that doesn't make them talk to each other. For instance, you know, lots of companies have problems with working in silos, for instance. And changing a process on paper and then saying this is the new way of working, maybe from willpower and from sheer, you know, let's do this kind of thing, uh, which is very American, that changes a little, but it's temporary and it's not permanent because there's, new, there's no new ideas, there's no fresh insights for people to start working in that new way. So what I see now, Pierce, is very simple. Is if you don't take a look at how people function, if you don't understand the human operating system, that's the way I call it, uh, and you only take a look at your processes and the content of your business, then you're just missing 50% of, of change. And uh, if you take a look at the numbers, um, you know, there's various um, research out there, but one of those reports says that 82% of projects fail to deliver on time, budget, or scope. 82. And if it's an IT project, it's even higher. And I think, looking at the results that my clients are getting, I think it's because they miss the, the, the importance of state of mind. The importance of how they don't see that how people function, how people work, how uh, we create a certain point of view of reality and so we struggle and uh, we cope and we we think we have a solution but it's it's more like um it's not a it's not a good solution it's an intellectual thing so that's why um that's why i think that the future of change is really starting to understand state of mind better and uh, just as understanding your phone better gives you more control of the phone understanding your mind better gets you into less problems, keeps you more creative, gets you better connected with people and um, more in touch with reality. And that's exactly what companies need. Mm. I, I can really relate, answer, huh? really relate to what you're <laughs> saying because you know, I've, I've been in the change business for a while and worked alongside lots of organizations putting in BPR, you know, business process um, reform and, you know, and, and going from the as is to the t to be being quite a theoretical process and thinking, well, this on paper looks better, but mm. um, ignoring the human. So some organizations would just almost totally ignore the human. Uh, and, you know, that, that made no sense to me even back in the day. And then some organizations would, in, in my mind, acknowledge there was a human factor Right, mm -hmm. and, and know that it wasn't purely theoretical, but I think I think the bit that they were missing, and I only saw this probably in the last eight to ten years, right, is that they didn't know how to deal with quality of mind or state of mind. So mm -hmm. they were trying to address the human factor in the best way they could, but with what was innocently a, a limited understanding of how the mind worked, or, or a misaligned understanding of how the mind worked, and. I think now it, it looks very obvious to me, like it does to you, that, that you know, once you understand how the mind truly works, not how we think it worked or thought it worked, but how it actually works, you can work in alignment with that and then get that the, the human factor involved. So I, I guess my question back to you is, do, do you think it's that organizations 
just don't consider how the mind works and the human factor, or they do consider it, but they don't really understand it? I would say that depends. Some, um, I would say intuitively, people see that there's something uh, mm. that they're not addressing. But I, I see managers being very uncomfortable with, um, well, not, not every manager, of course, but I recently spoke to somebody who says, you know, emotions and all that stuff don't come to even with emotions, you know, give me the hard stuff because mm. that I can manage, that I can understand. So they see there's something missing, but I think that either they don't know what to do with it, so it's kind of scary, it's kind of uh, invisible, eh? so the stuff that we're talking about, it's not visible, so they don't know, you can't write it on paper, or you can't analyze it. Mm. So that's why they, they kind of stay away from it, or they become uh, amateur psychologists, right? <laughs> that's mm. what I also see a lot. Um, and that sometimes does more damage than doing nothing at all. You know, so... These are the managers that uh, instill the, you know, that we can do it mindset and uh, they start to analyze everything. And so that's not working really well either. Or some managers that I see, they just think, you know, psychological uh, stuff, you know, let people do that at home. They can talk with their partners about it or they go to a psychologist or do a coach. But here at work, we just have to deliver. There's no room or space for that. Mm. Right. So that's the three things I see. Now, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I can relate to all of those. Now, I'm, I'm interested in knowing on what, what you think the... Let, let's say someone listening to this podcast, a business person, and the reason they're listening to this podcast is because possibly they fit into that, that category, that middle category of people that go, well, no, I do work with my guys on this. I'm the amateur psychologist. You know, maybe they would call themselves that, but that's sort of what they end up doing. And they try to get the right mindset and, and, and they work hard at it. So they're not someone that ignores it. Well, what would you say is the thing that they're missing or innocently not seeing in, in what they're attempting to do. You mean when they're trying to help their people? But Yes. What they're missing, like what you said, innocently, eh? nobody's doing that on purpose. Mm. Um, so what they're missing innocently is how it really works, how the mind really works and how human beings come to a certain view of reality. Um, so we've all been indoctrinated with things like uh, positive thinking, right? Or uh, from NLP, the whole reframing thing. Uh, you know, you know. I don't know if you know that stuff, but oh yeah, I was one of them. Time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and that all. Let me let me be very clear about this. That it's not like that stuff is worthless. It has absolutely value. But what people do not see is that if you start to see how the mind really works, like what you said so beautifully before, you can start to work with it instead of against it because working against it is where the biggest sufferings comes from, right? So I'm a manager. I don't like my results. And then I've been to a training positive thinking. So what I'm doing now is I'm looking at the results and I'm trying to find something good in the results, right? So at least we have something to improve on, for instance. Well, temporarily that might work a little, <laughs> Right? You can get a little kick, but it doesn't give you new perspective. It doesn't give you a new idea. It doesn't give you fresh eyes for looking at ways to get that result improved. It just gives you a temporary relief of the stress. Mm. Right? I, don't, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, 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 I think it does. And I think, you know, because if you'd said to me, uh, you know, 10 years ago before I got into this understanding, which was after kind of eight, 10 years of being in the kind of 
positive psychology, NLP, uh, even systems thinking, clean space, appreciative inquiry, all of those things, right? I, I, I was emergent dialogue. I, I was big into all of that. And I, I did think I knew how the mind worked, right? You know, I'll say that arrogantly now. I, I did. So mm-hmm. if someone came along to me and say, hey, you know, that's not really the truth of how the mind worked, I wasn't massively listening. Um, mm. it, it, it took a while for me, uh, and, and it was actually Michael Neal, um, the guy who's written some books around this, who convinced me in the end um, that I didn't know what I was on about. Um, and, and innocently, I thought I was, and you know, because I've been a professional in this area. And mm. actually, I, I was in that thing where I, I almost knew too much, you know, what I thought I did. And I had to unlearn quite a lot. And it's been quite interesting for me to, uh, when I look at how fertile people are to this understanding, um, actually it's people that haven't been that developed or sophisticated in understanding their own psychology that probably hear this a little easier than people that have spent years developing their understanding of what, how they thought it worked. They've got more conditioning to get rid of. And, um, I, I think what one of the challenges that uh, I find, I don't know whether it's the same for you, is um, there is some of the resistance to what you and I talk about is that it just sounds too blimmin' simple, obvious, and if it was like that, I would have known about it already. I, I, I don't know whether you come across that, but I, 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 it looks like to me I come across that sometimes. Yeah, what you're, what you're pointing to is the biggest, um, the biggest challenge that I have when I get a group of busy business people. Mm. Um, let's say we get them for three days. So I know that the problem is not that what I'm, what I have to share that they cannot hear it. The problem is what they believe already that has to get out of the way first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they believe, they think how something works and it's not only, uh, they think it, but they really, uh, are convinced that it works that way. Right. So when I, for instance, have a group and I see that there's 12 NLP practitioners in the group, I know I'm going to have a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? And um, so it t- I would say 80% of the first day of a training is to allow people to slow down enough so that their minds at least become open to listen at a deeper level than they normally do. And what I mean by that is that their uh, conditioned beliefs and the way they are absolutely convinced stuff works, they can start to doubt that a little bit, right? Mm. And I am not there, Pierce. This is very, very um, important always with the group. I'm not there to convince them of something else. I'm not there to tell them that I'm right or that I know better because I really don't, right? What I want them to do is start to reconsider and become curious, wonder about how the mind really works. And if they get their own insights, not because I tell them, not because, I, um, because I'm so much better than them, but if they really start to see and take a fresh look at how it really works, they will have their own insights. And those insights are like a thousand, ten million times uh, stronger than whatever I have to tell them. Mm. Right? I think um, George Pransky... There's a guy we, we both know. He has a great metaphor. He says, if you have like this uh, table fan that's going at full speed and, um, and you have to you have like a playing card or you want to go throw it through the playing fan, what happens is that it bounces back when it's going full speed, right? So you, you can try to throw mm-hmm. the card through the fan, but it just bounces back. That's what, what also um, happens when a mind 
is full or convinced or totally um, not open to any new ideas. So the first thing you have to do is slow down the fan a little bit. Mm. And you have to find the buttons. You have to find a way to do that. But when the fan goes slower, the chances improve of a, of a card actually going through. And that's how new ideas also work. Uh, in general, you can be lucky and you can have a full speed fan and the card can go through. But uh, there's much more probabi probability of it going through when the fan is going slower. And that's my job on day one is always to slow people down without telling them that I'm doing that. <laughs> well, I think that's very true because what I find is a lot of people think their fan is slow. So yeah. if you say to people, especially business leaders, are you a good listener? Can you listen with an open mind? They will go, mm. yes, 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 right? Mm. So, you know, they're, they're, they're maybe they're mid-managers or senior managers or leaders. So that they, they, they don't think they've got to where they've got to without having an open mind. And they would yeah. say they'd have an open mind and they'd say they're good at listening. But the kind of listening we're asking people to do with this understanding is quite a different kind of listening. It's mm. not a listening for information. It's not a listening to compare or evaluate right? So they don't even know that in your metaphor, the fan is going fast. And, and actually, interestingly, what we're really asking them to do is to look on something that is their side of the fan. It's not even us throwing a card through the fan. Uh, you know, I always think actually, we're pointing them to go to their, what's in them to find the card. It's not me giving them a card, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but, but people, because they're so conditioned in the business world to listen for information, to listen for analysis, listen for evaluation, to listen to compare, um, listen to construct a narrative around. Um, the orientations is, is so different for this. And I think um, just like when you're serving in tennis, you have to throw the ball up right to get the serve right. You know, you're going to do a bad serve in tennis if your throw is wrong, if, if your throw up the ball is wrong. And I think it's the same with the listening. So, um, and that's because of the nature of this is, is insight and realization driven, not information driven. And that, in my mind, is quite different from most business folk. I don't know whether that sort of resonates with how you see it. In, in, in that it's a very different kind of listening. It is. It is. <laughs> and, um, you know, most people I work with have some kind of business education. Uh, most of them have done MBAs. They've been in business for about, I don't know, some of them have been in business for 40 years, right? Leading organizations of 12, 13, 15,000 people sometimes. And then there's this guy <laughs> trying to point them in a direction. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff that says, no, 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 you know, I'm very successful the way I've done it. So uh, this must be working what I'm doing. Mm. So it's a, it's a challenge, you know, it's a challenge, but it's also an art and a skill to that, to, uh, to really reach somebody who's convinced of something already. And it's not only in business, huh? it's the same with, uh, with, you know, like people who are every day on the street, you know, it's the same story. Uh, absolutely. Now, we've talked a little bit about how hard it is to hear this and, and maybe we, we've over-egged that, but can you give me a couple, <laughs> just on the other side, <laughs> give me a couple of examples from your successes of people who, you know, have heard something about this and, and what that's meant for their business. So just give, it, give, give listeners a couple mm -hmm. of examples of the power of this. Yeah, so, so recently we, um, we worked with a company that uh, was uh, at the point of being acquired by another company. And uh, so we had the management team in the room and they were, um, so this was at the point where they were a little bit unsure what was going to happen, you know, if they were acquired, if they would, that would mean everybody would keep their job or everybody would get fired or they didn't know. They were in the, 
in the, you know, they didn't know yet. So the team came in and um, there was a very heavy mood around that team, complaining, uh, uncertain, um, you know, didn't know what to do. They were more or less in a victim kind of mode, right? Mm. There was, I still remember one of uh, the, the CFO was a lady. She was already, and it's so funny, she was already going to a supermarket that had cheaper prices than the one she would normally go to. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. she thought that if she was about to lose her job, that she needed the money. Right. And um, she also said to a housekeeper, you know, can you come every two weeks instead of every week? Because I need to be sure that I have money if I lose my job. So she was preparing for impact already. And they really were self-focused. They were really self-focused. And um, so at a certain moment in the program, the, um, the operational guy, he said, you know what? If we feel this way, how do the people in the company feel? And this was, you know, to us that might sound kind of obvious, but to him it was, to the group it was, oh, oh, wait, wait, there's more people than us, of course. <laughs> so they mm-hmm. opened up, you know, <laughs> it really dropped in the group. And um, so then one of the other members said, you know, if, um, if what we're doing is hiding in the offices because we're afraid of the negativity on the floor, then we are basically allowing their minds to create all kinds of stories. And the management is hiding in their office, uh, so there must be something bad going on mm. because otherwise they would be on the floor. And this happened, you know, this group had been together for three months. They already had uh, three sessions where they went outside of the, the office to talk about this. But this was the first time they deeply realized that they were hiding from their people. And they realized that they had to reconnect. They were totally disconnected and they were uh, allowing their employees to create narratives for themselves. And then they were surprised that it was a negative narrative. So what they decided there and then is that no matter the contents of their thinking, they thought that leadership was something else than hiding in their office. So they decided together that no matter what the future looks like, we want to stay in contact with people. We cannot let the contents of our own thinking, our quality of mind, as you call it so beautifully, mm. get in the way. So they, what they did after the session, they went back and they created all these, these moments of connection with their team. So they did stand-ups, daily stand-ups, and they just openly shared, you know, guys, we don't know what's going to happen, but we will f- be for sure informing you whenever we know. And this created a totally different atmosphere. A totally different atmosphere. So in the end, it turned out that about 30% of the people had to go. They created uh, good plans for those people so that they had, could find a, a new job really easily across the street. And uh, afterwards, they said, you know, we were heading for a disaster. We were heading for unions being on strike. We were heading for uh, maybe even physical violence because, you know, there was sounds of, of that going on on the floor. And we did it really peacefully. And we did it in connection. People cried. We connected. And this was because we deeply saw what our minds are doing with us. And if we're starting to live in the, in the story that our minds are creating, um, you know, it would have been a totally different outcome. Yeah, it, it's a great story. And I think what I hear in that, and you probably confirm this, is that someone could have suggested that to them as an idea or a strategy. Hey guys, you don't want to hide in your office. You've got to get out and talk to people, right? As a kind mm-hmm. of, that's what you should do. That's what good leaders do, right? Now that, that is vastly different in my mind to them 
for themselves, having that obviousness of insight and like going, God, we need to get out there and connect and feel this and be congruent. Um, you know, they, they, they saw the obviousness of that for themselves because they had an insight around it as a collective, which is very exactly. different to being told to do it. it. It feels different, the space is different, and therefore the impact was different, is my guess. Exactly. So nobody had to remind them. Mm. <laughs> you know, in every MBA, they tell you that it's good to walk around so that people see you and that they see your involvement. But fortunately, uh, unfortunately enough, I don't see a lot of leaders doing that because stuff gets in the way, you know, their thinking gets in the way. And then they have to be reminded, you know, that's, uh, can you do that again? You know, that's a good idea. But this is an insight. So they mm. saw it. No courage. They didn't need to be motivated or have incentives to do so. They deeply saw that they wanted to reconnect and they, that they were disconnected. And then it's effortless, you know? It doesn't take any effort for them to do it. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that's w w one of the, uh, the key, and there are a few, but there's one of the key benefits of this work is that the outcome has what I call an obviousness to it, a behind-the-eye change to it, where people just go, well, that's what we're going to do. Of course we are. It feels right. They don't have to keep maintaining it and, and reminding themselves, you know, because it's, it's almost they see it as an obvious thing to do. And therefore, you get a much more sustainable benefit footprint, um, you know, because, it, because it's come via realization, because at one level, what this work is doing is helping people understand how realization works. And once you yeah. insightfully see how realization works, you have more of them. <laughs> um, and also, the lovely thing I also find, and you've probably got examples of this, Rich, is where there's a pervasiveness of the benefits. What I mean by that, th things will occur to people that weren't even what you were talking about, right? So mm -hmm. something, because the intelligence of the system will point to something that you weren't even aiming at, you know, but it, it will end up being really relevant. So... That, that that's why you'll get a benefit that pops out of this work that doesn't look like it's within scope of the benefits, but nonetheless is really valuable. Because yeah. once you allow the mind to become fertile, it comes up with stuff that you don't even know you need to know until you know it sort of thing. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Um, and the example I just mentioned, uh, I didn't talk about them hiding or them being bad leaders or anything like that. We mm. talked about how the mind works. Right. And um, it allowed them to drop some of that stale thinking, some of the thinking that got in the way and see deeply what they were doing. So I didn't I don't I never talk about. Um, well, maybe, you know, in the end of day three, we talk about business topics and stuff like that. But when people start to see how the mind works, they also see what they've made up and how that got in their way. And then they have these realizations like, ah, you know, I'm hiding. I'm hiding from my people. Because I think the negativity is too much to handle. But the point is, I think it. It's not real. It's not a truth. It's not a, a fact. It's a mind-fabricated thing. And it's like with a cloud, eh? like what you mentioned, Michael Neal, he has, also has this beautiful example. If a pilot n thinks that clouds are solid and you have to fly around them, and if you hit them, it's a problem, then it's going to be a different flight. And some days you can't even fly. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> then when you when you see the um, the, the the fluid nature of it of them, you know you can go through them, mm. and that's the same with thoughts. Uh, people live lives as if what they're thinking is real, and then it feels real, and 
before you know it, you're, you're adjusting everything in your life towards that. You created a belief system. Yeah. And that's nice as a, as a survival mechanism, but it's not, um, it's not very connected. It's not very creative. It's not very, um, doesn't give you a lot of room for new thought. Yes. And I, I think no. it's just what businesses, with the increasing degree of complexity and, and ambiguity and, 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 you know, things in business world now, you've got to be spotting that those clouds are clouds, right? And fly through them, yeah. and you know, rather than round them. I mean, we've got a beautiful example in our country at the moment with Brexit, which is causing all sorts of shadows and clouds that people think are there, but, you know, ultimately mm-hmm. aren't. And uh, when I mean aren't, I don't mean they're not in people's reality. I mean that they're not as solid as people think they are. Um, so it, you need to have that agility of thought, that ability to see the world afresh in different moments, to have that resilience, that creativity, that connection to self and others, that they're becoming more and more valuable to us. Um, mm-hmm. so, so Rich, just because, um, t- t- times are ticking and, and, uh, we, we could talk for a lot longer, but I di- I'd just like to ask you a question towards the end here is that if, if, if you, if there's some business people listening to this and they're starting to get a little bit curious to this, they're like, think, well, is there something in this? Is it not? Well, it, you know, if there's something you could say in 30 seconds or a minute, w- what would you say to business people listening to this who are getting a little bit curious, but aren't sure yet? Well, what would your sort of advice or tip to them be? <laughs> you know, it takes me three days <laughs> to bring this across normally. And now you're asking, so that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what has helped me tremendously is um, to not, no matter how hard it looks, no matter how impossible it looks, there's always an option. And it might not look like that, when you're in the middle of, of, of the storm, but there's always more than one option. So that, that, that has always helped me. And because there's nothing worse when I'm locked into one belief and that gives me no option. That gives me a freedom of not being free, being controlled, being stuck. But the beautiful thing with our minds, and I've never seen a mind that works differently, but the beautiful mm-hmm. thing is that that thing that looks stuck today looks like an opportunity tomorrow. Um, and I, I, I totally get that there's people out there who really struggle with big problems for their health and, and for, for other conditions. But I'm not saying that that stuff will solve itself. I'm just saying that when the mind changes, your world changes. Mm. Mm. And, I, and I think that's, you know, the, the, the power of that, because what we're saying there is however stuck it looks today, tomorrow or this afternoon or even in an hour's time, it can look different because it's only ever created by the mind. And I yes. think, well, 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 why I think that's an, uh, a useful thing to say, because you might then say, well, okay, how do I change my mind more often? You, you, you might want to go, well, if that's the case, can I have it please? You know, where's the app that helps me see the world differently? Is there a button I can press to, to you know, and, and what we are saying, and this might sound a little snake oil, but I think what you and I are saying, and, and we can back this up with our client work is, we feel in the work we do, we point people to answer that question so they understand for themselves how the mind changes, right? And how they can access that more consistently. Doesn't mean you can do it on demand. You know, it's still not like going, right, I'll have a new mind, please press a button. It's not like on demand, but you get a more consistent appreciation of how the mind works 
and you're more you're more graceful and grateful for the ebbs and flows. And as a result of that, the mind changes more often, right? You, you see fresh more yes. often. And, and yeah, what doesn't, so. it doesn't bog you down so much. Exactly. So you know, if you see the system at work, it's mm. like... Um, it's like when you go to David Copperfield and you see him, you know, sawing this poor little girl in half. Now, if you really believe that, that that's happening, you're like, oh my God, what's he doing to the girl? And you're really, you know, <laughs> you're yeah. really are triggered by that situation. But then after the show, when David Copperfield says, come on, let me take you backstage. And he says, look, there's a mirror here and there's a mirror there. And the girl's really, really bendy. So it's really two girls. And, you know, once you see the trick, then the next time when you're in the audience and David Copperfield, Field sauce to go and have you're you're going like oh look no look there's a mirror there and he's not really doing that so it's it's the same thing happening on stage but you see through it and that's the same with the mind once you see it like this the Jamie Smart calls it the best special effects uh, department in the world right mm. once you see that in this eye of the storm when you're in the middle of the storm and you see it's just thought. There's freedom. And from that freedom, you can really create and you have your best possible mind with you. And so you can have the best possible action in that moment that needs you to deal with whatever you need to deal with. Mm. And that's I, so super useful. That's yeah, really nicely put. You know, it's about seeing through the illusion more often. Um, yeah. And that doesn't mean in the odd moment the illusion doesn't catch you out, but you catch it quicker. That, that's, that's my sense. You know, you, you, you catch it after half an hour rather than six weeks, right? And, yeah. and, and, and when you have a team doing that, right, you can help each other with it too. Um, and you're seeing through it and that, that gets you more buoyant, more agile, more quickly, which helps you deal with this very, this uh, ever evolving world we're in. So, um, I think that's a, it's, it's a great example. So, um, Rich, we, we've kind of reached time sadly, but, um, so I really want to, again, thank you for joining, um, the podcast and sharing a little bit of your, um, expertise and wisdom and um it, it's, it's been great to have you it, uh, any last parting thoughts f- from you well they're just my thoughts <laughs> uh, no i think we've said enough so um no I'm, um, I'm i'm really honored to be here so thank you for the opportunity and um let's keep doing great work in the world well thank you and stay curious thank you If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please reach out and leave us a review and a comment. If you want more info, check out makingchangework.co.uk or Piers Thurston on LinkedIn.